Ladies, gentlemen, degenerates, cretins, children of all ages, welcome to Real Tales from the Bar Side. My name is Matt Flynn. And uh, I've decided that the world needs a podcast to kind of take a look inside the world of bars, restaurants, and the craziness, the madness, the tears, the joy, the subculture, and the fucking insanity that goes along with everything in this business. So welcome. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you stick around. Be sure to share, tell your friends, and above all else, have fun listening to everything that goes on at the bar side. Welcome to the inaugural, the first, the amazing beginning of Tales from the Bar Side. My name is Matt Flynn, and I'm really excited about this. This is going to be a lot of fun. I don't know why the hell nobody's done a podcast about bartenders before, but we basically see everything. Uh, We know all, we see all, we are the psychiatrists, the keepers of secrets, and yeah, we're not here to spill anything, but man, it's it's time to kind of anonymously share some of this stuff. I know therapeutically it's going to help me a bunch, and uh, I think it'll be interesting as hell. So plenty to talk about, plenty to share. Going to have a lot of really fun restaurant industry guests, um, everybody from bartenders to patrons, regulars, bar owners, people who used to bartend that you might recognize name-wise now. Going to be fun. So Welcome. And speaking of welcome, my good friend, longtime friend now, Anthony Labresco has joined me here today in our studio to uh, share some of his infinite wisdom and tales from the bar. Yes. Anthony, welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, This is awesome to be here. Thank you for letting me be the very first guest on this. It's a pleasure, man. You know, with... uh, I think I'm coming up on 14 years behind the stick, as they say. So, yeah, definitely have seen a thing or two behind the bar, that's for sure. See, it's really interesting because I've, I probably only have, I'd say, seven, seven or eight years collective experience. And I've only worked in two bars, but I've been a staple there. (laughs) And I really kind of... Yeah, neighborhood bars especially, I just feel like you, you connect so much to regulars. And in New York City, which is where we're at, I'm not sure if we threw that at the top of this, but we're in New York City right now, and I think that's just even more important to point at because there's just so much wild and crazy shit Well, that the goes thing on. of it is, too, is, you know, when you plant your feet in a bar and, and you're the bartender, you see people day in, day out, especially in New York City, anything over a year, that's when you really... You know, the regulars that come in there, it becomes very communal. It's, uh, you know, everybody becomes friends. It's almost like when you go to work, you're hanging out in your living room with a bunch of your buddies, you know, for the most part. And then just random crazy people happen to walk in (laughs) that you have to deal with. And I treat it, honestly, I treat it like it is my living room. That's something that's just really important to me. Uh, At times it can mean that I feel easily disrespected and I act as a result in such a way that's maybe not what corporate places would want or really encourage in their staff. But in my eyes, it's more like a fuck you. You're in my home. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. I I mean, when I started out, I started out in Philadelphia. I was working at the Westin Hotel in uh, downtown Philly, wore a monkey suit. You know, I was in a tuxedo (laughs) bartending. And you know how when it gets really, really crazy, when you're moving around, you're in a tuxedo, jacket, everything. 
and it's bonkers, crazy, busy, that is the most uncomfortable situation. And you have to cross your T's and dot your I's with every customer that comes in there. Um, fortunately enough, I'm in a place now where I kind of have a nice balance. It's a nicer cocktail bar, but it does have that laid back feel. It is uh, a, a big spot for a lot of regulars that come in and um, it's a lot of fun, you know, but definitely the corporate side, I, I just, I can't I do couldn't the corporate do it. side. I couldn't, they wouldn't have me. I just don't think my personality would meld with it. I've worked at a place, and it's funny how they, everybody wants two years experience. Two, year, two years of New York experience. And that's the catch 22. Bars. Right, so how the hell do you get that? Yeah. And once you have it, what do you do with it? Now you can kind of write your own ticket. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to work? Where do you fit? Now I'm scrubbing floors till 5 a.m. Most people would just say, fuck this. I'm not doing that shit. Throw me in the monkey suit. But I prefer it this way. I get to choose at this point. I've done it long enough. I have my clientele. And I, I don't know. I, I'm happy where I'm at. I'm at a place on the Upper East Side, and it used to be called the Uptown Lounge. And I've cleared this, told them, listen, I'm, I'm name-dropping. We're talking <laughs> about this shit, okay? Now, the Uptown Lounge was a hotbed of just crazy Caligula style Roman fucking bedlam. It was nuts. The place was a shit show, but it was a ton of fun. And uh, a lot of my stories basically come from the Uptown Lounge. It's since been renamed and rebranded as the Two Door Tavern. Same ownership, great people, but everybody's calmed it down. It's a nicer spot now, and so there's a lot and more. And they have two doors. Two doors. There are two one doors. in, one out. Good. But that's really just, uh, it's funky, man. The Upper East Side, I don't know. That's the other thing, too. I think it's really important to get different people from different neighborhoods that bartend in this city because the Upper East Side's so incestual for a New York City neighborhood. It's wild how you just run into the same people and everybody knows everybody's well, you're shit. Well, you're in a very neighborhoody spot. I mean, my first job up here, I worked seven years in the West Village. Um, a buddy of mine, a good friend of mine, owns a bar. And... Uh, that's where I really like, I cut my teeth in New York City bartending because I had the experience in Philadelphia. I worked in a bunch of different places. I worked for a guy who was half a gangster, you know, and uh, after I left him, he got caught for embezzling uh, $600,000 trying to open this new restaurant that I was helping him open. How fucked up is it that that's kind of the norm? It is the norm now. Bar owners, restaurant owners. It's crazy. And, you know, I'm not slandering the name, the good name of collective bar and restauranteurs, but that's just a frequent occurrence in New York. People yeah. just get caught with their hand in the cookie jar. Well, I had another guy. I worked at a, a bar in the, uh, in the East Village briefly, and uh, after about five months of working there, the guy calls me in, calls in one of the other bartenders, uh, three of the kitchen guys and says, just so you know, we're closing down after 20 years, 20 years, they're closing down. They're going to rebrand it, turn it into some Greek restaurant. Everything's served on wax paper. This goes from, uh, you know, your neighborhood, 20 beers on tap, shots, everybody knows each other. After 20 years, you close it down. He promised me, the other bartender and the other kitchen guys, all jobs. Three weeks later, he reopens. Nobody has a job. He literally, the guy who was supposed to bartend that night shows up to work and the gate's shut and he has no idea. This is the place that you were at prior to where you are now? Exactly. Yeah, okay, I remember. And that yeah. actually, fortunately, I'm glad that happened, even though the guy ended up being a total scumbag, what he did to everybody. Um, it led me to the great place that I'm at now. Yeah. So 
you know, it was a little fortuitous, but to treat people like that, to have a guy come in for a shift that night, have waitresses come in for their shift that night, not even have the balls to call them and tell them they don't have a job, just let them show up and the door's locked. That's fucked up. It is. It is because a lot of these places, it's like family. It is. The two places I've worked, the reason I've been there for as long as I have, the reason I'm so comfortable is because it's become a family and you can't do that shit to family. And it's interesting to, to think about, okay, it's like family, but it's not family. So you can get away with that and it is a business, but at the same time, there's an intimacy and a reliance on these people that waiters, busboys, cooks, bartenders, you really have to rely on the people and trust that you hire because everybody's got access in one form or another to money, whether it's actual tangible cash in hand or it's just appliances, things, food, booze, you can just walk out the door with you. You gotta trust your people. But your people it, have it, to be able to trust you. And it has to be a well-oiled machine, you know? And it's it's crazy. I will say in the last five years, the industry is changing so much um, with how much people go out and spend. Uh, just finding good staff, on, on a note of that nature, finding good staff is so hard these days. Mm. You know, we have such a tremendous turnover of waitresses right now, you know, because nobody really wants to work. Once they get into the restaurant, they think, oh, this is easy breezy. I'm just going to go in. I'm going to make a ton of money and I'm going to walk out. Those days of walking out with all that cash, it's over. Yeah. I mean, it just, it doesn't really happen anymore. If you find a place where it does, God bless you, hold on to it because it's a dying breed at this point. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, I had this girl, she had just started Finished her six-hour shift, probably made 200 bucks, right? She's in the back kitchen. She's waiting for her free food to leave. I'm talking to one of the kitchen guys about a delivery, and the phone's ringing. She's literally standing right next to the telephone on her phone doing God knows what. And I'm just watching her, watching her. I go over. I pick up the phone. I take the delivery order. I get done. I look at her. I said, why did you not answer the phone? She had the balls to look at me while she's waiting for her free food and says, I'm off the clock now. Oh, yeah. No, nobody wants to help out. Are you shitting me? Come on. Nobody wants to lend. It's a very strange thing. And we can get into generational differences about how, oh, there's just a real lack of work ethic today. Everybody's on their fucking phone. No one really wants to lend a hand and pitch in. I don't want to sound like a curmudgeon, but you and I were about the same age, and we, we are, grew up yeah. in you know, blue-collar atmospheres where you, pride, you prided yourself on hard work, having a strong work ethic, and that really goes a long way in the restaurant business. But before we turn into some cranky old Muppets men just bitching about the past <laughs> and lying for it, let's get more into storytelling, man. I mean, where are you now? Where you're at a place, do you have regulars? I do have regulars. Um, what neighborhood are you in? I'm... Uh, Basically, kind of Gramercy area uh, on 3rd Ave between 26 and 27. We do get a lot of NYU kids up there, especially graduate programs, things like that. Uh, there's a ton of apartment buildings that are just opening up, so there are like this huge influx of people coming in. I've been there a year now, and I've seen a pretty big turnover in regulars because a lot of people move to the area. It's kind of like their first spot that they, you know, sink their feet in. Then they want to move to the West Village or, you know, the Lower East Side, somewhere a little bit more hip. 
So you're in kind of like the Gramercy meets Murray Hill area. Pretty much. It's almost strange. a little no man's land. It is, because that's kind of a bridge and tunnel meets Boca Raton yes. line. It's a really that's strange, Boca Raton. strange <laughs> line you're towing there, neighborhood-wise. So, so you've got a, a varied clientele. You're going from the, the retirees to the, the bridge and tunnel college fratty crowd. Yeah. Okay. And everything in between. Um, it is a cocktail bar, so... You know, our prices are priced a certain way that you're only going to get a certain kind of clientele in there. You okay. Know? I had a guy last night. It was a going away party. It was really funny because everybody was drinking this really expensive uh, Yamazaki scotch. And, you know, the Japanese whiskey is like the hot shit right now. And the guy came up and I said, well, I'm out of the Yamazaki 12-year. You guys drank the entire bottle. And he's like, oh, that's great. That's great. What else do you have? I said, well, you know, I got this. I did this. Uh, I have a Hakushu 18, which is really good. He orders it. It's $45 a glass. You know, the guy's like, well, I'll take that one. I'll take that one. And I'm in this weird situation because I don't quite know if he knows how expensive it is. But at the same time, you're with a group of guys who are spending a ton of money. So awkward. And I don't want to be insulting yeah. no, and say, it. well, it is $45 a glass. So I pour them four of these uh, Japanese whiskeys and I give him the bill and he looks at it. And with tax, it's $195. <laughs> and he looks at the bill and he's like, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's $195. I say, well you know, they're $45 a glass. This is a very, very, very good whiskey. And he goes, you know, I don't, I don't even know how I tip on this. And I said, I'll tell you what. I said, if you don't want to leave a tip, you don't have to leave a tip. I get it, you know. And he ended up leaving 20 bucks. But it's one of those weird situations where you have people who want to spend money and they want to be ballers and they want to, like, do cool stuff. And, oh, yeah, give me the 18-year-old whiskey. Well, you might want to think for a second to ask how much the 18-year-old whiskey is first. Absolutely. And it's, you, know? it's, you can't read it. It's hard for me anyways because you get people, typically it's the people who say the least, that you just know they're good. The Amex black cards coming out, it's not going to be a problem. But on the other hand, the, the shot callers that want to impress and that have all this crazy like, oh, yeah, man, I'll take six of those and this and that. Yeah. Give me top shelf and all this. A lot of times I'm like, this fucking knucklehead is just going to look at his bill, shit his pants, and leave me a fin if I'm lucky. Yeah. I'm from uh, the Boston area. A fin is a $5 bill, by the way, <laughs> for anybody listening. Thanks for clearing that I up didn't for me, get too. get the reference. Uh, a sawbuck is 10 so if these come out, we're all on the same page. But it's interesting because a lot of times they'll just pull out a wad of cash. Yeah. And it's just, see, no, it's down. $100 bills and you're good. They walk out, heavy tip, and it's, I can't read it. It's hard for me to get a read it on It is. That. And, you know, I find a lot of times uh, the, the actual guys who are legit, I would say ballers, are the ones you least expect because they don't flash it. No. You know, the guy, the, the young kid who comes up and throws his uh, gold Amex down is like, oh, let's get shots for the girls over there. And let's, <laughs> you know, I want my boys to be drinking this and that. And then they get their check and it's $350. And they look at you like you're the asshole because you gave them that check. What am I supposed to do? You know, um, I don't go in into an appliance store or I don't go into Dwayne Reed and spend $50 and then say, hey, can I have a candy bar for free? 
exactly. you know, because I spent fifty dollars. And that's a it really, doesn't work that way. It's a really interesting thing about bars, and people don't understand that too. That's probably a cool lead into buybacks. Because I don't think people really understand the concept of a buyback a lot of times, unless you've worked in the industry. So a buyback is basically the term for, you have four drinks, I buy one back. And you're not required to do that. No, hell, it's not a requirement for anything. And it's not even allowed in a lot of places. But in a neighborhood bar, if you're somebody that I know and you're there a lot, or it's your first time, like there are circumstances. It's not just like, hey... What a good guy you are. Here's a freebie. It's just, no, man, I only have so many of these allocated. I have to ring this shit in. It's not like I'm just giving the bar away. Everything's accounted for, and I'm going to go in and buy something back because you're here often, because this is your first time, because, all right, I'm totally guilty of it. You're a fucking smoke show, and you're gorgeous, and you flirted with me, and not in a sleazy way, in a way that (laughs) I felt like maybe we had a connection, and you're either really into me or... An amazing prostitute who earns all of her money and just wanders <laughs> around the city aimlessly batting her eyelashes and getting free shit. Whatever the case is, I have a buyback, but it's only a certain amount of drinks I can do that with. So, Well, it's interesting you say that about the women now because uh, I'm now married for three years and I love my wife. And, you know, it's funny when the girls come in and, you know, they're all done up and they come up to the bar and they're like, you know what? Um, it's my friend's birthday. It's always somebody's always. birthday. And uh, I think it'd be really cool to get her some shots. And I'd be like, that's great. What what kind of shots would you like? Well, I don't know. What, what do you think? Well, no, no, no. You're the one ordering them. So why don't you <laughs> tell me? Order the shots. And she begins to walk away. I'm like, no, miss, here's your bill. And it's like, you got to understand. And I like to do this little thing where I tap my ring sometimes on the like the mixing tin just to let them know this is not... I'm not that guy. Yeah. You know, I was years ago when I was single, but now that I'm married, that that kryptonite does not work on me That's anymore. That's a good play with the you ring, it's like Yeah, it's very subtle, hard. very subtle, but facts, you got to let them man. know. Just yeah. the facts. I Just like the that. facts. That's great. Exactly. That's really funny. It's great. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love that shit. But it's like, if you're going to manipulate me, have the common decency to not let me know I'm being manipulated. Yeah. That's what I'm into. I'm all about that. Let's have some fun with it. That's great. But when you come in and you're bad at it and then you want free shit on top of it, go to another bar. Second Avenue is a block away. Full of dipshits over there that'll take all your money. And Absolutely. Just, you know, whatever. But be a human being if you want to hang just with me. Just be cool. Just be cool. Just be cool. Right? It's a you respect know? thing. You've come into my living room. You're in my home. I'm here to take care of you the way I would I'd take care of a guest that came to my place. So if you're cool, I'm cool. If you're not, I'm a dick. Absolutely. And you've seen me be a dick a few times. Yeah, when you once come or into twice. Bar. Yeah, <laughs> it's not extraordinary, but it doesn't take a huge push off the cliff for me to say, hey, don't step out of line, man. I'm being good to you. Be good to me. Well, I have a, I have a golden rule, and I've actually told people this because they come in and, you know, they order a bunch of drinks, and uh, they'll say to me, well, you know, where's my buyback? Where's my buyback? And, I, and I'll look at them and I say, well, I have a rule. It's my golden rule. If you ask for a free drink, you do not yes! get a free drink. That's exactly It does mine. not work that, that way. That is my golden rule too, man. It doesn't work it. that way. You know, it's just uh, everybody wants to be the big shot until the bill comes, yeah. you know? So don't order all these drinks and think that somebody's going to magically take care of you because the reality of it is, and I've seen this a million times, I've had people say to me, oh, you know, I'm really going to take care of you. 
the, <laughs> the second I hear somebody say, I, I'm really going to take care of you, they never take care of you. They don't know what it is to take care of somebody. Oh, here comes the fin. Yeah, the here's the, the night, fin. A nice slip or a bomb. Yeah. Or what, Thank you so what was much. the other one that you said? A Starbuck? Oh, a Sawbuck. Oh, a Sawbuck. A Sawbuck. Oh, okay. You know, Google that for the story behind it. I don't have time to get into this shit. Origin stories on nicknames for bills. Come on, we got bar stories to talk about here. It's true. I, the thing that kills me more than anything, and I'm with you 100% on the golden rule, is just entitlement. It's entitlement. These people that come in and they just think that they should have something for free. That's the thing that pisses me off. It's just, it, again, if, if you're cool, I'm cool. And eventually I'll probably buy you a drink. Absolutely. And, and that, that's really all it is. But if you're going out, like you, the appliance analogy is perfect. Just don't expect anything. If you don't yeah. expect anything and you're not here to try and squeeze me out of a freebie... We're going to get along really well. And, you know, at the same token, if you're there on a date, especially a first date, my, my bar is a huge date spot. I see so many first dates. I see people who show up for dates, and the other person didn't show up for a date. That's always fun. But, you know, just talking to people, the bartender can be your best friend. Absolutely. He can make you look really good for your date, you know, or... He could make you not look so good. In that sense, it's not making you not look so good. It's a matter of just kind of exposing who you are in that sense to the girl yeah. or the guy or whatever the situation is. So, yeah, when it comes down to it, my wife watches uh, The Real Housewives in New York, and the one girl, she says, you know, just be cool. Don't be all, you know, uncool. And I love that line. I love that line because it's so true. Uh, Just be cool. Don't be all uncool. Imparting yeah. words of wisdom from the real housewives. Yeah. Man. Come on, I never thought I'd hear it from you. <laughs> hey, what have you done? A lot has changed, man. A lot has changed. Man, a lot has changed. Yeah, I know. It's so true. Now, you're married. Three yes. years. Wonderful woman. You guys have a great thing. I myself am very single. And I'm as single an actor. You and I are both actors. Yeah. I mean... We're not burying the lead here. This is about bartending. But we're yeah. both actors. That's what we do when we're not on the stick. We're out there. We're auditioning. We're doing the thing. But when I'm at the bar, I'm very much a typical New York single bartending actor where it's just, listen, I'm not looking for a relationship. I'm not interested in anything. But because I'm single, there is opportunity. And I can play with that. I can have some. Oh, yeah. When it was Uptown, it was a fucking horror show it was just a riot to watch this shit go down you mentioned date spots now the place i'm at now the place it's become the two-door tavern very cool they brightened it up they made it uh, a lot more just relaxed an atmosphere it's casual fun we get fucking skee ball machines golden teeth that's awesome fuck. It's, it's cool but it's a date spot now you see couples show up, whereas Uptown Lounge was just a free-for-all. You'd just get Yeah, it was people, a hookup center. Total hookup center. People would come in just cruising. And the only time we would have dates, air quotes, is when people would do like a Tinder meetup that they'd never met before. Those are always the best. And it's just, my God, I could, there was one time that this girl came in, gorgeous, sat at the bar alone. And again, I go right up to her, beelined it to her. Is there anything I can do? Please. And she said, well, I'm actually meeting someone here on a Tinder date. I'm like, oh, cool. Give me the signal. You know, I tap the nose and pull the earlobe. Yeah. If something's going wrong, if you need help, if something's Bring going the terribly wrong, that's it. Tap the forearm and go to the bullpen. Call me in. I'll get you. 
So this goofball shows up, and he's just, you know, God love him. He's in like a Bama T-shirt that he probably bought in his freshman year of college eight, eight years earlier, and just it's it's tired, right? It's a sleepy T-shirt, and he's got these just fucked up jeans. It's just uh, I, the guy was a mess. He was just a bit of a mess. And this girl's a smoke show. This is an Upper East Side, just kind of, wow, stunner. Didn't go well, but I kind of saw them off. You know, I kept kind of pulling the earlobe from a distance and looking at her, and she'd give me the kind of so-so with her hand, I don't, like, in a head shake, like, I'm not sure what the hell's going on. This is a weird segue, but we're going with it, uh, into the fact that I don't drink. Yeah. I've been sober for... Over 17 years now in recovery. I was a raging maniac. Thank you. Um, Drunk turned drug addict. I started drinking at 11, and it was just a horror show. It went completely wild. And we can get into the details of that in another time. But just as a frame of reference, too, it's interesting to be at a bar sober. And I don't really disclose that to too many people. It's not something I keep too close to the chest. But if it comes out, it comes out. If I go to toast you and people ask, where's your shot? And I pour myself a cranberry water in a shot glass and bang it down if they catch me on it. And they're like, what the fuck is that? Yeah. It's, like, it's cranberry water. Fuck that shit. I was like, that's what I drink. You got a problem with what I drink? Because I'm playing. I don't get to play in the reindeer games because I don't drink. Like, fuck that, man. Let's toast. Yeah. So it's also very interesting to just kind of be lucid throughout the entire night. Do you drink on your shifts at all? No. I mean, it's very rare. I would say, you know, special occasions like New Year's Eve. Uh, This past year, actually, my boss, I have a trick because I've been doing this for a long time. And at one point I was single and pretty crazy Mm -hmm. to say, to say the least, Um, living and breathing the New York bar lifestyle. And that's a whole other story for another time, maybe. But, um, you know, this past New Year's Eve, my boss, it was like right at 10 o'clock. And the shots of Crown Royal started coming out, and it was one after the other. And when you're in the heat of battle, it's not that bad. And and what I learned, the, the trick for me is to drink water. Yeah. If I'm just doing shots and drinking water, I can maintain this steady buzz that will get me through the night. Mm-hmm. You know, but I've worked with people who, one, they'll show up shit-canned, or halfway through the shift, they can't even make a drink. I'm at a point now where, look, man, this is my bread and butter. This yeah. is where I'm making my money. So at the end of the day, what am I doing that's best for me and my family? I need to make money. So I've had the crazy times of doing tons of shots and this, that, and the other thing. But, you know, now it's just I don't get enjoyment out of it, you know, because doing one shot here or there, if I'm really pressed, I'll do it, you know, just to, for for good sake of keeping the bar going. Yeah. But drinking behind the bar, it just, it loses its luster after this amount of time. It's interesting that, yeah, you pointed that because I know it's not. For me at least. I know guys that just bang it out every shift. They keep going. But it's that, it's exactly what you're saying where this is your bread and butter. This is where the money's coming from. This is how you work. But some people knowing that still can't take that step back even with age, with maturity, yeah. whatever it is, there's just an inability. And, and I think that's where people start thinking, do I have a drinking problem? 
And it's an interesting thing because you do, that doesn't necessarily mean that you do. You can just yeah. be caught up in the lifestyle of it. Like, I'm not a preacher. My shit is my shit. And anybody else's, you know, if you need anything, let me know. But, like, I'm on my path. I'm doing my thing. But it's an interesting thing to watch because it's all there. It's all there for your consumption. If you want it, you Absolutely. can just bang it down. And a lot of places don't really mind. And they, they prefer it a no, lot of some times. No, some places encourage it yeah. because it makes you... F- they say funner behind the bar or whatever. But it also offers you know? people's tabs and they're like, and put one, get one for yourself too. Why yeah, don't exactly. You I always say I'm a cheap date. Man. Yeah, but I'm if you've ever been shit can trying to count a thousand dollars at the end of the night, <laughs> trust me, you're going to be there a really long time because I've sat there for like an hour just counting money because I can't keep track of how many 20s and what number I'm up to and I have two calculators and I'm trying to figure it out but I'm like you know what maybe I should have another drink and I'll get a little bit better at counting the money and it just it spirals into this crazy crazy world Um, you know when I used to work in the West Village we would bartend Friday Saturday night Sundays during football I would go in and do a double a lot of times I would leave the bar Saturday night, close up at 4.30. We would go to the bar across the street. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't get home until 10 in the morning, yeah. take a quick nap and a shower, and then boom, you're right back at to work, and you're working 12, 13 hours. Well, that's the craziest shit of all, because I, I don't know what it's like to count $1,000 shit-faced. Thankfully, I never saw that kind of money, because if I had it when I was drinking, God knows what would have gone down. <laughs> but... The fact that it's five in the morning and I've been on my feet for 12 hours running, cleaning, and dealing with nonsense, trying to count that, I'm blue in the face. Even then, yeah. stone sober, I'm just like, what a fucking 60, 80, oh shit, I don't know, fuck, I gotta start over again. It's just not anything that anybody should be trying to do drunk at all. Absolutely. Well, in that case, if you're gonna do it, you definitely need a partner in crime. You need somebody that you can bartend with, you know. Fortunately enough, I've had two awesome partners in crime throughout the years who, you know, you kind of watch each other's back and you get it done. And, you know, it can be a really, look, it can be a great time. It can definitely be a great time. Um, But like I said, you know, I'm kind of at a point now where I don't know if I'm just getting too old. Like I I, I noticed you have a couple gray hairs now. I do, yeah. Dude, I have gray hairs in my beard now, everything. You know, it was funny. My boss said to me last night, because we got this young kid. He's really good looking, like perfect man bun going on. He's a model, super nice kid. He's awesome. I love him. And they said to me, they're like, you know what? Um, Why don't we have Matt work the point tonight? Which the point is, you know, you're the main guy Mm -hmm. for the night. And they're like, why don't you work service? And look, I'm not an ugly guy. I'm not the best looking guy. I used to do my thing back in the day. And I looked at him and I was like, look, I know what's going on here. He's <laughs> like, you want the young buck up front to get all the ladies. And I said, I agree with you a thousand percent because at the end of the day, we're splitting our tips. Right. So it doesn't matter to me. And you know what? I'll go stand in the corner. And I'll make all the drinks for the restaurant, and I'll have that one really awkward date sitting right in front of me, you know, and that's going to be my night. And I'm cool with that now. I'm totally cool with that. But again, you know your strengths. Play to your strengths. You know, stay in your lane, and you've got 14 years experience. Throw him to the wolves. Let them pick at his bones and just speed through those goddamn drinks at service. Relax and enjoy your evening, right? Yeah, absolutely.
Hey guys, when I'm not podcasting, uh, I'm an actor. I'm not sure if you knew that. And I had the privilege and joy of not only acting, but producing in an amazing award-winning feature film written and directed by Jonathan D'Ambrosio called The Frog March. This is an amazing story I'm really, really proud of about a group of friends that get together for a staged and unbeknownst to the person involved drug intervention in the middle of nowhere. And when that person finds out that the weekend is actually aimed towards an intervention for them, all hell breaks loose. As I've mentioned in this podcast before, I am in recovery. I've been sober a long time. I've seen a lot of addiction, a lot of heartbreak, and a lot of just truth of how this really manifests and unfolds in life. And I can honestly tell you that this is the most honest depiction of addiction that I've ever been privileged to see screened as an art form. So uh, it's a beautiful movie. It really is. You can check it out, uh, the trailer at thefrogmarch.com. We're going to have it uh, available to stream at some point in the near future. I'll keep you posted, but check out the trailer, get involved. Uh, We have a Facebook page. We have our website, thefrogmarch.com. And uh, please let me know in the comment section if you've checked it out and you're interested we'll we'll get some stuff together and uh, we'll have some screenings around new york in the near future before the release so feel free to support thanks again and go check out thefrogmarch.com you know what do you think about servers what do you think about the like for me it's just so important to have quality not only work ethic like we talked about but just personalities and I don't mean chipper like tchotchke sort of like what can I get for you today phony bullshit I just mean good people that are just bringing positive energy out look the biggest thing with in my opinion with bars and restaurants is the vibe you know what kind of vibe it it's attention to detail that goes with that vibe too so it's everything with the ambiance how many candles are lit um, what is the wait staff wearing what is uh, the bartender look like. There's so much that goes into it, and it it becomes this big picture that you have to paint, essentially. Yeah. You know, and that wait staff, the bar staff, that's what is so key to it. You know, anybody can take an order, anybody can, you know, have knowledge of drinks and stuff, but if you can't converse with somebody, if you can't, um, you know, show them a little smile, if you can't have an awesome conversation with them, you know, especially when you're behind the bar, that's so key. You have to be able to almost have a little bit of knowledge about everything. Yeah. I find that is the key. You don't have to be the smartest guy in the world on every subject, but I try to have a little bit of knowledge about everything so I can at least have a conversation with somebody about anything. Exactly. I think that's wildly important. And from an ownership perspective, that grand scope of Candle's the owner of the bar I work at. My God, he is candle crazy. He's I'm a little candle mind. crazy. You're a candle crazy yeah, guy? I'm a candle okay. guy. Yeah. I, I can dig it. It's a cool vibe, but I don't blow a gasket if one's not lit. It's just kind of funny to watch and somebody else because I have my own Oh, OCDs, I'm constantly but... changing them out. Yeah. I'm having the bar back, like, run back. I give him the empty candle thing, and I'm like, yo, go scrape that out, put a new candle in, bring me three more, too. Cause... We've got the little electric shit now, the little, like, Brookstone, so you press the button, yeah. you drop them in. Nobody knows. Nobody yeah. knows. They, have they some get cool a little, ones they now. waggle back and forth. Yeah, you know. So it's just yeah. Especially when you're tuned up, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah, know yeah, what the yeah. hell's going on at that point. Hey, so many people at the bar. Can I ask you a question? Is that 
is that a real candle? It's just they're stone cold fixed on this thing. And you look at them and you're like, holy shit, they've been looking at that for the past 45 minutes. Yeah, to out. holy shit, they're not looking at their phone. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it's that's what kills me now is why are people going out, and I see this all the time, they'll sit down at like a two-top, a date, and they'll sit down. First thing they do after they order, they both take out their phone. They take pictures of their drinks. <laughs> um, they're texting their friend. I understand sometimes if the date, like it's not going to go well. You got to set up something for after it. I get that. Mm -hmm. But what's the point of freaking going out and spending money if you're just on your phone the whole damn time? I got I have to preface this because I'm going to explode ridiculously in laughter and try and stymie it throughout the course of all of these episodes. And it's because I get mental pictures in my head when you say something or when somebody references something. I just went right to this guy a couple weeks ago. My poor buddy is sitting at the bar. He's recently single. He's miserable. <laughs> <laughs> He's just kind of longing for companionship. And he looks at the table across the way, and there's this guy sitting there buried on his phone. And not like, honey, let me send a text real quick, but like fucking bejeweled. He's just going for a high score kind of bullshit. He's just buried in his fucking phone. And across from him, not on her phone, is one of the most beautiful women I'd seen in a very long time. And my friends just, I didn't even notice them. I looked at my buddy and I said, what's wrong? He's just shaking his head in disgust. And I've never heard him so angry. He just went, motherfucker. <laughs> and I looked over at the table. I knew exactly what he was thinking. And I said, go get her, man. Shit, he doesn't care. He wouldn't even notice. No, he probably wouldn't. He's going for the high score. Oh, man. People. So... Weight staff wise, yeah, I just that's a great grand scope. That's a great brush on an ownership perspective, how to keep a good atmosphere in a bar. But from a service bar perspective, I just for me it's so important that these people have a cool relationship with me. We don't have oh, to be absolutely. best friends, but these people that come and bring all their anxious animosity or whatever it is that they bring from the tables and they're just like ah yelling oh, yeah. drinks I've, at you and I've everything. had waitresses come up and I don't fault them. You know, like they'll come up and I've had a couple girls, they just start crying. And don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking girls because I've had times where I've been at work and I kind of just wanted to cry a little bit, you know, but you can't. There's no crying in bartending, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, you have to have this. It helps you keep yourself sane because you deal with the most absurd shit. I had this woman at brunch and I hate working brunch. I normally just work at night, but I was working a double. She ordered a Diet Coke, light ice. Mm. I filled the glass just a little less than halfway. She takes it over to the table. The waitress comes back with the Diet Coke and says, the woman said you put too much ice. She wanted light ice. I said, oh, she wanted light ice. So I take out the tiniest ice cube I could possibly find in the massive amount of ice and I just drop it in there and I pour Diet Coke in it and I give it to her and she just had to have this laugh you know because if you don't have those little moments where people are so fucked up in their requests oh yeah you have to have that it helps like alleviate all the stress and that helps with the flow of what's going on in the bar and the restaurant. It's so important. It really is. There is a camaraderie. And, and my God, servers do not have an easy job. I did no. it I did it early on, and I, my heart goes out to them. You're just kind of just a powerless middleman, right? Yeah. Between the bartender and the customer, between the kitchen and the customer, there's this 
I can't wait to have a server on here. I can't because it's just like they need to tell their story too. Oh, they got to let it bitch. out. And I'm, I'm just saying I don't have this compassion for them when I'm behind the bar. I have it now in retrospect, but like I scream at servers. I'm like, what are you doing? Well, and, I, I always tell people, look, if I'm ever rude to you, it's because we're in the heat of battle. Right, we'll hug it out I at the end of the night. I always apologize afterwards. You have to. But if you do something bonehead, if you make a stupid mistake, um, if you just fuck up and you didn't need to fuck up, like, I get it. We all fuck up. It's it's a matter of what happens in the restaurant, but there's just little things that don't need to be done, you know? Um, making drinks twice, that's the worst thing I hate. I hate that. When yeah. somebody, oh, I rang in the wrong thing because I thought it was something else and they wanted this instead. It's like, I work in a cocktail bar now. It takes me a minute to a minute and a half to make a cocktail. I'm cracking egg whites. I was going to ask. You know, I'm doing whites. that kind of shit. We even have a little, Matt, we even have a little uh, branding stamp to put on our ice cubes that we cut with a bandsaw wow. downstairs. Holy shit. Like, we have a serious setup. So everything takes a lot of time to present a, a $16 cocktail to somebody. You know, if I'm spending 13 to $16 on a drink, it better be an awesome fucking drink. Yeah. You know? So there's a lot of... There's pride in it too, you know? So if you're making these bonehead mistakes, you know, and it's not the customer's fault, it's your fault. And you've been working there for a long time. It's like, you just, you're hindering what's going on, you know? That's phenomenal. I can't believe that that you have a bandsaw for any reason in the basement of your restaurant. That's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. I don't use it because even dead sober, I'd probably lose a finger. I'm always like cutting myself and, you know, always hurting myself in one way. The dishwasher always slamming my finger in it. It's uh, just that stupid little shit. Yeah, I ripped a nail last night just yeah. grabbing bottles and, you know, just stupid shit. You're just moving too fast, I think. Something like that. But damn, egg whites. We had an egg white drink. We don't really do that shit where I work. It's um, it's more speed. It's pride and speed and, and just environment and atmosphere and personal relationships, I think. I make a mean Tito soda. Nice. You can pour a draft it's beer good. like you've never seen. But that's, you know, we did that whole... We have this fucked up drink called the Basil Bee's Knees. Oh, they put it on happy hour, man. You got a muddled basil on happy hour. Some gin, for, some lemon, yeah. a little honey and in there. Yeah, and it's got to be measured just so. You get two ounces of honey syrup. What kind of fucked Two up, ounces of honey? What kind of fucked up individual wants two ounces of honey syrup? Yeah, I don't know about oh. that, one, man. So hopefully, you know, that. we're doing a new drink menu. It's seasonal, so that'll be out of my hair soon. But yeah, those cocktails, man. That's, well, that's for you. That's you just not for mentioned me. draft beer, and one of the funniest things I think I ever heard somebody ask me, and you would be surprised how many times I've heard this, was <clears throat> they come in, they look at the draft line, they say, what is your coldest draft beer? <laughs> I, I, I shit you not. And I said, well, they're all in the same cooler, so they're all equally as cold. No, 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 no. Come on, man. You got one that's really cold, right? No jackass. <laughs> They're all the. I can put ice in your beer if you want. That's the best I can do. But you, you know? the, the beauty of bartending in a large way, for me anyways, is just you have so many choices on how to handle shit like that. Because you do have the, the waiters, they, they don't have that. If there's a problem, you got to get a manager. Yeah. You know, bartenders, it's just, how do I want to deal with this guy? Do I want to have the, no, you fucking dipshit. They're all cold. It's in the same goddamn cooler. Or do I want to be, oh, oh. 
You want the coldest? You want the coldest. And give him a wink. Exactly. And then go right to a specific line and smile at him while you pour it. So he thinks, and he's smiling back, and all of a sudden it's like, <laughs> but in your head you're like, you fucking meatball. I had a guy come into my bar one time. It was a Friday afternoon. The door's open. Music is on. All the TVs are on. I even had three people sitting at the bar. The guy walks in. Guess what he asked me? Windows open, people, three people at the bar? Three people at the bar, music on. Music on. TV's on. Are you guys open? Exactly. <laughs> yes, I did it. And, and I turned, I looked at him, I said, actually, we're closed. Come <laughs> back when the door's shut and locked and all the lights are off, and then we'll be open. This is and he kind of looked at me a little weird, and he turned around and he walked away. And I'm like, you're the asshole who just asked the stupidest question on the planet right now. You know, you probably don't want to have a drink here anyway because everybody's going to bust your balls. There's a, there's a door. So we do have two doors in the two-door tavern, but they're both in the same entryway. There's a third door, but it's an emergency exit, and we keep it shut because in the winter, if you open it, there's no guard, and it's fucking freezing, and everybody just starts shivering. And if in the summer, you know, the air conditioning goes out. So we keep it shut, and there's a big fucking arrow on it, the sticker. It says main entrance this way. And people will be banging on the door and looking like, hey, hey. How, how do I get how in do here? I, huh? And it's just somebody will get up. Last night, somebody got up from the bar to let him in. And they're like, oh, I'll be a good guy. And I said, no, no, no. This is an IQ test. No, they have to learn. You have to be this smart to drink here. If you can't figure out how to get in, I don't want you as a fucking customer. Come on. Tell me the machete story. i got to hear this. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, this was crazy, man. Uh, I was working in the West Village. And... Uh, it was like a Saturday afternoon. It was during football season. And there were a bunch of regulars sitting outside having a really, really great time. And this guy comes over who I'd never seen before. And he sits down outside. He orders some food. And next thing I know, I get a complaint because the guy is complaining that people are having too much fun around him. And he wants a quiet atmosphere in the middle of the West Village on a Saturday afternoon when it's like 65 degrees out and everybody's having a great time. Well, the guys who were having a good time decide to car start calling him the Penguin. And I was like, why are they calling this guy the Penguin? And I look at him and he looked exactly like Danny DeVito in Batman Returns, okay. except he had a Hawaiian shirt on. So long and short, the group of people ended up leaving. The guy comes into the bar. He sits down at the bar. And uh, my now wife, she was my girlfriend at the time, she's sitting at the bar, and she's talking to this guy and this and that. And he gets up, and he leaves. And my wife says to me, you know, that guy was really, 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 really odd. And I said, how so? And she said, well, he was talking about pills and this and that. And then at one point he said he was going to come back and burn the bar down. Oh, that's, yeah, that's qualified as odd. Yeah. Um, so I said, oh, okay. All right, well, he left. So about two hours later, it's now nighttime, I'm working a double, and the guy shows up into the super busy bar and he has this huge stack of magazines and he's walking into the bar and he has a cane and he's like dropping magazines on the ground and this and that. And I come around the bar and he's got this huge stack and I look down and they're popular mechanics magazines. He's like, oh, I found these magazines. I found these magazines. And he orders a black Russian from me. And I look at him and I'm like, 
what is your deal? I'm thinking in my head, what is your deal? So I wasn't in that great of a mood, and I didn't appreciate the fact that he threatened to burn the bar down. I don't appreciate the fact that he ordered a black Russian. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that was the least of my worries at that point. So I leaned into him and I said, look, buddy, um, you know, I heard that you said you were going to burn the bar down. I said, I don't appreciate that. He starts giving me attitude and I look at him. I said, well, you think you're walking with a limp now. You just wait. And he goes, what'd you say? Did you threaten me? Blah, 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 this and that. So I finally get the guy out of the bar. He ends up leaving. Drop like five magazines on the way out. I close up the bar that night and I walk outside and I see the guy two doors down. He's sitting on a stoop with his cane and I'm walking by because I'm heading to the subway and I notice there's a pack of Marlboro lights on the ground, but there's something sticking out of the Marlboro lights. I'm like, what the hell is this? And he keeps hitting it with the cane into the sidewalk. So I look down. The guy had stuffed an old-school handheld tape recorder in this pack of cigarettes, but it's popped out the front. It's half, half cigarettes, half uh, tape recorder. And he's like, oh, wh what did you say to me earlier? What did you say to me earlier? And I'm like, all right, this guy's just obviously off his rocker. I probably shouldn't have said what I said. It was in the heat of the moment, you know, trying I'm to be a tough guy, no, but whatever. No, 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 fuck that. He, he threatened the bar. He's going to he burn the place down. He threatened the bar. You, were, you went take, easy on him. Exactly. So I said, you know, oh, uh, I don't know you, buddy. Have a good night. Have a good night. He's like, no, no, no. And he's hitting the, his cane into the tape recorder. So I just walk by. I, I go, come back the next day. I'm working the Eagles game. We're a huge Eagles bar. And uh, I got my Dawkins jersey on. I'm all fired up. And my boss comes over and he's like, oh, you, you remember that guy last night who had trouble? And I told him the whole story on my end. He goes, well, go outside and look two doors down up on the third floor. So I go outside and I look and there's this blinking red light. So I look at it. Here it's one of those old school over the shoulder camcorder VHS things on a tripod sticking halfway out the window pointed directly at the bar. I'm like, this guy's fucking nuts. So that's where he lives. He's on your block. Yeah. He's there. Okay. Matt, I had been there for four or five years. I, nobody had ever seen this guy ever before, and he lives two doors down. So we end up calling the cops. We make a complaint about the guy because it's whoever complains first kind of thing. Sure, yeah. Officer comes by. I repeat the entire story to the officer, except I leave out the part where I threaten the guy, because mm -hmm. I didn't seem it to be that important. I don't either. To the story. Yeah, I didn't think it was. It's good to that this important. story, but exactly. to that story, not exactly. At the time, it didn't matter. End of the night. I close up the bar. My wife's there. We walk outside. I'm locking the door, and she goes, "Oh my God, Anthony, is that the guy?" And I turn around and I look, and I shit you not, the guy is sitting on the stoop. He has a machete, like a jungle machete, bigger than my freaking arm. And he has a piece of metal, and he's sharpening this machete, what? staring at the both of us, mumbling shit. How old is this guy, the penguin? How old? Oh, he had been a, in his 50s, maybe. And he's just dead stare right at us, sharpening his gigantic machete. I freak out. My wife freaks out. We cross the street. I call the cops. The good thing about the cops, whenever you tell them there's a weapon involved, mm. they show up lickety split. Yeah. 
If there's no weapon, you'll see them next Tuesday. <laughs> if there's true. a weapon involved, they show up immediately. And mass, too. It's, how many showed up? Four or five cop okay. cars. They were coming down the wrong way on one-way streets. They all show up, converge on this guy. He ends up getting arrested. I'm surprised, actually, nothing escalated past that, thank God, because he did not put the machete down for a while. Damn. We were standing behind a car watching the whole situation go down. Turns out the guy never got charged with anything, which I guess maybe it's legal. You can just sit on your stoop and sharpen a machete these days in New York City. Wow. I didn't get that memo. You can't own a fucking ferret in New York City. Fast like, come on. You can't do that. Seriously? Fast forward two years, Matt. This is where shit got really real. Nobody ever heard from this guy. We found out that he was kind of a hermit. His uncles owned half the block, and he lived in the apartment for free. So one day I'm walking into work. It's about two years later. I remember it was a really, really dreary Monday morning or uh, Monday evening. And I walk in, and I notice when I walk in, there's an ambulance outside. And I go into work, and, you know, the ambulance is just not moving. It's just sitting there. No lights on, no, nothing going on. And I asked somebody, I said, well, what's going on with this ambulance? And uh, here my boss came up, and he told me, that the guy had died. He overdosed on heroin, and they found his body a few days later because somebody reported the smell. And I gotta tell you, like, it's all fun and games and crazy shit happens, but for at least a week or two after that, that really kind of fucked me up because I had this crazy interaction with this guy in the bar, and you think about the reality of it is people have a lot of really fucked up shit going on in their world, you know, and, and with all this opiate addiction and people addicted to so much shit these days, it just kind of really rung a bell with me. You know, I only ever had one interaction with this guy and it was probably the most fucked up interaction I ever had with anybody ever in a bar. And he ends up dying two years later because of heroin, you know? So, <clears throat> The thing of it is, is you see the good in people, you see the great in people, you see the, the crazy shit in people, and they come to your bar, and they have a good time. Sometimes they just want to, like, let loose. Yeah. They tell you shit. It's just, uh, it becomes very human sometimes, because you're, you're dealing with people that you don't know, and it gets really personal sometimes, out of nowhere. Yeah, it really does. I feel a lot of times I'm wrong in how I handle situations. When I'm talking to a customer, something goes down, I'm wrong. I'm just, I'm not right. And a lot of times, especially being sober and dealing with people who aren't, I feel like I have an advantage where it's just like, no, I'm not being unfair. I'm just kind of policing the place that I'm responsible for and the people that are in it that I'm also taking responsibility for in the moment and you're threatening that. But there have been times where I've had to go up to customers and apologize and say, listen, I handled that poorly. Yeah. And I handled it poorly. Maybe I didn't like the way that you spoke to me and I took it to a place it shouldn't have gone. And I think that humanizes it for me. And if I don't do that, I take that thought home with me like, shit, man, I fucked up. I have to figure out a way to make that right. I hope I see that person again. Well, you're constantly making judgment calls on people. Yeah. You know, especially when somebody's intoxicated, you don't know which... I've seen people flip a switch 
I'm sure you've seen it. Constantly. Literally just flip a switch in one minute, and next thing you know, you have to you have to ask him to leave. And it's after maybe a third glass of wine in two and yeah. a half hours. You it's never know. That's just, it's not like, oh, wow, yeah, I've, this is their 15th Jack and Soda. It's, it's strange, and, and I don't know where it comes from. I've seen enough people drunk in my day to know that it can just be from alcohol. I've seen so many people get involved with pills, and I don't know what they're taking and when that's going to kick in. Yeah. It's, it's scary, though, when you see it, and all of a sudden the eyes are empty. And you're like, damn, now I, now I have to deal with this. And well, I'm... on top of that, you're responsible for that situation. Exactly. And that's the scary thing. You know, I, I've, it, to keep it real for a minute, it's, I've had people tell me that they wanted to commit suicide. I had guys who uh, were scared to come out to their parents. And it, people, perfect strangers, who open up to you with the most intimate things in their lives, you know, and... and on a lighter note, I had a guy one time, he was in my bar, the guy was spilling his guts to me, but it was good conversation, you know, it ended up being good conversation. He was the last guy at the bar, pays his check, he leaves, he comes back, I had locked the door, cleaning up, he comes back, he's knocking on the door, I said, oh, well, he must have forgotten something. I opened the door, he hands me $20, I said, what's this for? And he said, I should be paying you and not my psychiatrist. <laughs> And I was like, thanks, man. You know, it was good conversation. And I'm walking back to the bar and I put the 20 bucks in my pocket and I'm thinking, wait a minute, what do you pay your psychiatrist? I feel like I should, you just stiffed me with this $20. Where's the extra $80, you know? But that's the way it goes. It is. It's, it's the shakes and it's a part of the job that I actually value. I really, that, it means a lot to me, especially as somebody who doesn't drink. I constantly have to look at other than schedule flexibility and money why do I do this? And there is a part of me, I'm such an extremist, as I think most alcoholics are, just because I stopped drinking, that doesn't go away. And it's an extreme environment. To have that human connection with people, to know that I'm not alone in my own mental shit that's going through my head, there's a solace in that. And to share that back, like the cool thing I think about a good bartender, when it's not bartender as far as a mixologist goes or somebody who's really just a craftsman is the ability to just share it's great to listen a lot of these people just want an ear but the people that i think want to grow they want to evolve they're not here to just rant get things off their chest they're like fuck i need help i need help is to be able to share my stuff with them too and it becomes a conversation it becomes really no different than this where you're listening, I'm listening, and hopefully we're going to step out of this situation better people. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we're getting some strange hand signals from our producers <laughs> here. Um, okay, so we've covered a lot of ground here. Yeah. And I think that's really great, man. Uh, it's a strange business to speak in generalities with because there's just so much sweeping broad-spectrum strokes that go into this. It, we've, it's everything from psychology to playing well with others when it comes to staff to having an ownership group that takes care of their people and allows them to make them the money that they need to stay operational. You have to do all of this in New York City where it's a here-today-gone-tomorrow atmosphere. Absolutely. So tough. And, and, and it doesn't matter how many years your place has been there. You know, you it doesn't, no. One or two bad years, and then, unfortunately, it's the way it goes. And it's... It, it's constantly evolving, 
And I think there's a lot of places in New York who have just really established from the get-go who they are and what they're all about. And that's why they're lasting, you know, a place like McSorley's. You know exactly what you're getting when you go to McSorley's. You know, light and dark, you get two beers, boom, you're having a great time. That's your expectation. That's the only expectation you need going in there. I don't rave about their bathrooms. I don't think it's, you know, the cleanest place, but it's an awesome, fun place. And that's what they sell, and that's what you get consistently. People want to go to a place where they know they can consistently get what you're offering. If they like what you're offering, be consistent about it. Yeah. Yeah, but McSorley's, man, when that closes, and there's no expectation that it will, but I'm just presupposing that I think once Elaine's went, it was kind of like, shit, this could happen to anybody. I know McSorley's is the oldest, and it's probably got even more prestige than Elaine's did, but it, it breaks my heart. I think I'm just too much of a cynic to not anticipate that rain ending at some point. This city just moves fast and furious. I'm constantly saying it's just a scary place that I love and I can't get out of, and I don't know that I'd ever want to leave, but if I drop dead this afternoon, people will grieve for a day, and then business as usual will continue. Not to bring it down to that level, but shit, my brain goes (laughs) in weird, dark corners sometimes. But I love it. I fucking love this city, man. I love how everything is new and different. I've been here 10 years. It's a beautiful place. I'm really grateful that... I have the opportunity to live here, to work here, to meet all these wild, wonderful, strange people. You know, it's funny you said before, you need two years New York experience. And I had five in Philly. And now I realize, you know, very quickly, two years in New York bartending is a world of difference in wherever you've been bartending before. Completely. It's a huge life-changing difference. Yeah, it is. It is, and it's one I'm grateful to have, man. Absolutely. Speaking of gratitude, man, I am so stoked that you were our first guest on this hey, podcast. Hey, man, thank you so much for inviting oh, me. This hell was yeah. great. And we'll definitely we'll have you back for some more bullshitting and some really down and dirty storytelling when uh, we're both feeling a little more bold and brazen to awesome. dig deep. Awesome. And once you get permission to go there, because I know <laughs> that married life, man, you got to check in. Can I tell this story? Uh, it's okay if you don't want me to. But... Yeah, there's a censorship on my own, you know, <laughs> that I have to deal with. Tons of love, man. Thank you, everybody, for listening to our first episode of Tales from the Bar Side. Be good. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Real Tales from the Bar Side. Be sure to tip your bartenders and tip us by subscribing, liking, leaving us a review. That stuff helps like hell, and we really appreciate it. So thank you again. Hope you enjoyed yourself, and we'll catch you next week.